see you. I hope you guys are doing well. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and we're going to go through chapter 3, verse 6, so uh, just a few verses here uh, that will lead us into chapter 3, so we're moving right along. Mark 2, verse 23, hear the word of the living God this morning. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, and the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he has said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered into the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who are with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Verse 28 says, So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Going on to chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Again, he entered the synagogue, and, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them with anger. Jesus looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out, immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy Jesus. Let's pray one more time over the reading of God's word. Father, thank you, Lord, that although it was my voice that we just heard, it was your word that was just spoken, God. We may have come here looking for something, word or or, or just some experience, Lord. Thank you, God Almighty, that we just heard your true and living word that brings light to darkness, that brings us from death to life, and that brings us into your saving grace. I pray that you would again be mighty to save here. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a story about Jesus and the Sabbath. Or rather, we could say Jesus' take on the Sabbath versus the religious elitist version of the Sabbath. You have two contrasting things. You have a biblical view of the Sabbath versus a spiritual elitist type view of the Sabbath. This is a lost art, the Sabbath, which is to rest, right? This is a lost art in American culture. In fact, in 1942, the average person would get around eight hours of sleep. How many of you get eight hours of sleep? A few of you, okay. Today, that is decreased to an average of 6.8 hours per day. Elementary kids are recommended to get 10 
or so hours per night, junior high kids, nine to 10 hours a night. Adult college and above should be getting seven to eight hours of night. And when we have a lack of sleep, this only induces stress, anxiety. We get ill. In fact, the World Economic Forum, which however you feel about that organization, they claim that the U.S. loses the equivalent of around 1.2 million working days per year due to people not getting rest. Therefore, the USA loses approximately $400 billion a year in GDP. I don't know why I just said it like billion and billion. But if everyone who sleeps goes on with the research, fewer than six hours a night, got between six to seven or eight hours of sleep, there would be an increase of $200 billion to the U.S. economy. Again, American culture, we have forsaken the art of the Sabbath. Before we dive into this text, it's important to get a theology of the Sabbath. So let me take a 10-minute detour and give us a theology of the Sabbath. So I hope you came uh, ready to hear your professor this morning. Genesis chapter one, thumb over, keep it in Mark, but go to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. I don't have this on the screen, so you actually have to do a little work on this Sabbath sermon. But um, Genesis chapter one, verse 31. Listen to what he says. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was what? Good. And there was evening and then there was morning on the sixth day. Chapter two, verse one says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work. And he rested God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's give a few observations from this theology of rest. Here, God is shaping out or really kind of creating for us this rhythm of rest. Work six days rest one day. It's, it's this rhythm because God has this kind of structure to his organized creation. And then we are to mimic this to where now we see where God has worked for six days. He rested. We too, as the uh, image bearers of God, we too, we work six days and we rest on one day. A couple of observations from this text. When does the day begin? Notice when God creates kind of light or day and in several days after it, he says, and there was evening and then there was morning. That's very important. After creation, there was evening, then there was morning. Right here, we see this rhythm of rest that the beginning of the day is not the morning, but the beginning of the day is when? The evening. So when does your day start? When you're resting. God is orchestrating. He is, he is creating this rhythm of rest, even in how he is structuring the days for us. 
that your day begins not when you get up ready to move, ready to work, labor hard. Your day begins first with how you rest. And notice what he says about the Sabbath day is what? It's, it's holy. It's from the Hebrew word Kadesh. It's the first time we see this word or this word holy or, or sacred. And notice that he created this day holy. Now, it's interesting to note here, the first thing God makes holy, the first thing God makes sacred is not a particular um, space. It's not like he creates earth and he's like, oh, look at the earth. It's so holy. He doesn't create that. He doesn't look at the dog. He doesn't create man or woman and even say, this is holy. It's not about a space or a location, but what is holy is a time. Every single religion that you can research, you will find that they all have their sacred spaces. You have sacred temples, sacred um, shrines, sacred holy mountains, sacred um, rivers. And even in the Old Testament, we would see that there were, that God's presence was confined in a tent and caught and then into a temple. And these, these, we would view that as sacred or, or holy. But, but, then, but then he stretches things and Jesus comes on the scene. And, and according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, um, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he's like, do you not know that you are the temple of God and God's spirit dwells in you? So again, reiterating this re- or retelling the story of creation, that this space really isn't about, this sacredness isn't about a space. It's about presence and time. It's interesting that God doesn't say that the earth is holy, that the dog is holy, that the wife is holy, the husband is holy. No, he's, he, what he's saying here is this, this space or, or, or this time and this, pre- this is holy. This day is holy holy. Now, what's fascinating about this is who wrote the book of Genesis, or, or rather, who was the human agent that wrote the book of Genesis? Remember want to take a stab at it? Moses, there you go. Moses is writing this, right? He's writing this to the children of Israel who had just been kind of taken out of captivity under the rule and tyranny of Pharaoh. What were they doing under Pharaoh? They were slaves. Do you think slaves know how to rest? No, they don't get to rest. They're enslaved by this tyrannical just leader who is hard oppressing these people. So rest is a foreign concept to them. So Moses is kind of introducing really this new concept of what life is about. You work, but you don't work your whole life. You shave and you create time out to rest. Later on in Exodus 20, Moses again um, reiterates what God's com- or, or just kind of promised to them is, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Six days you'll labor and you'll do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made livestock or the, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them 
and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is again Moses retelling the Genesis narrative in Genesis chapter one. And he's telling them, remember, don't forget, don't forget the art of rest. Don't forget to Sabbath. You can get easily bogged down in the mundane and the busyness of this life and hear the word of the Lord this morning. Don't forget to rest in him. Don't forget to Sabbath in him. So what does it look like? Like how do you define Sabbath? Now, now caution, don't get legalistic with it, right? Because this is gonna be a part of the conversation and this is gonna be a part of the problem that Jesus has with the Pharisees. I mean, I think for each individual, it's going to look different. Well, what does it mean for you to worship and rest? That's what it is for the Sabbath. What does it mean for you to wor- worship and rest? That's your Sabbath. Forget legalizing it and making it a part of a day and, and you know having a list of things that you can or you can't do because you're going to fall into the, the issues that Jesus has with the Pharisees. Rest means to stop laboring or stop exerting yourself. So if you think about this, when you're thinking about applying that to God's rest, what does that mean? Well, you stop laboring and you stop working towards your relationship with him and you just rest in him. You rest in his love, knowing that that's enough. And you just rest in his, his grace. Rest, according to the dictionary, means to lie down and to be settled or to be fixed. In other words, this is, you're no longer shifting around and, and you apply this to God's rest for you is that you're no longer kind of being um, shifting around from doctrine to doctrine, from philosophy to philosophy. No, you're resting. You're, you're kind of rooted and grounded in Christ and who he says you are. So we're resting in Christ Jesus. Now here's why I say don't make this about a legalized list where you gotta do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I gotta do all these things because this is what it means for me to rest. Now, in the Old Testament, God's law, we have 613 laws given by God. All right, 613. That's, that's a lot of laws, all right? I'm just gonna be straight with you, all right? All right, that's, that's a lot of laws. Somewhere along the way, these Pharisees, these religious leaders decided that that wasn't enough. All right, I'd love to meet those guys and beat the you-know-what out of them, okay? I mean, just, please, just, I, just, I just need like two or three, okay? Because the rest just seems like too much for me, okay? But somewhere along the way, some power-hungry maniac come along and said, oh, 613, let's add a thousand more, right? These Pharisees, these religious leaders were like, that's not enough. Let's add more. And so what we call this is the Mishnah. These were extra biblical laws that the Pharisees and these religious leaders were going to impose on the people of God as if 613 wasn't enough. Let's come along and let's add more. And they forgot that the Sabbath, they forgot this idea that the Sabbath was, what, what was meant for freedom, was meant for rest. 
and they turned the Sabbath into a burden on the people. And the problem was in the day of Jesus that the Sabbath had with it so all of these extra biblical, these man-made rules and regulations that the work one did to observe it, to observe the Sabbath was, was in fact more exhausting than the other six days of work. So Jesus comes along and he shows the right way and he gives us this biblical view versus this false religious view of the Sabbath. So picking up, up back in verse 23 of Mark chapter two, one Sabbath, Jesus is walking, he's going through the grain fields and he's got his disciples and they begin to pluck the heads of the grain and the Pharisees were saying, and you know, when the Pharisees come on the scene, it's never good. Look, why are they doing this? This is unlawful to the Sabbath. Was this unlawful? Was it unlawful to walk through a grain field and pluck some grain? No. According to the Mishnah, it was. Now, according to the Torah, I believe you just couldn't farm. You couldn't be in the act of farming, but that's not farming though. You see how they're like, they're like, oh, so, so the Torah says, let's not farm. So let's take it a step further. You can't even walk on a farm. Oh, and let's, let's take it even further. Like you can't even, even if you're hungry, even if like you're starving or you know of a family that's in need, you can't even go out there and grab something for them to eat. You see how like, like legalization just kind of crept in and just extended the law out and was a burden on the people. So if you're, in, if you're in need and if you're starving and if you're hungry, sorry, the Mishnah law says you can't go out there and get anything to eat. You'll just have to starve. In verse 25, it's where it gets really interesting. And he said to them, <laughs> Have you ever read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? This is Jesus' words right here. He, he and those were with him and how he entered the house of God in that time and Abathar, the high priest, and they ate bread in the fair presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. So Jesus is quoting from a story in 1 Samuel, okay? This story is about David. David had been kind of anointed by the prophet as king, but he wasn't king yet. In fact, David, it's a kind of a funny, not a really funny story, I guess, if you're not David, but reading it, you're just, it's, it's fascinating. David's, he's anointed as king, but he's not king. In fact, he's in exile, right? He is running from the ruthlessness of Saul. It's, it's very interesting. And, and in fact, they ate the consecrated bread, which was, it, it was, not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priest. And, and David not only eats it for himself, but he gives it to his boys here. Jesus could have, instead of, <laughs> right? You, it's almost like Jesus is kind of instigating an argument with them, right? I did, that's, that's not why I love Jesus, but this is one of the reasons why I love Jesus, right? He's an instigator. He's like, right? He's, He's hearing what they're thinking. He's seeing their thoughts. And he just dives. Like Jesus could have, if he wanted to avoid an argument, right? And you know, you know what to say when you want to avoid an argument. 
You know what to say when you want to argue. You know what to say when you want to avoid an argument. Jesus could have just quoted the Torah. He could have just quoted uh, Exodus chapter 20 and said, listen, boys, uh, Sabbath was for rest is holy. Just calm down, chill out. Take, you know, just take five. We'll be okay. He could have said that. And the Pharisees, they may have been like, all right, fine. All right, we'll let you have this one, Jesus. But Jesus is telling a story from 1 Samuel about a king, David, who was crowned king, anointed as king, but was not king yet. He was on the run in exile. Jesus is is giving them a glimpse of the foreshadowing of right in front of them is the king who has been crowned and anointed as the Messiah, the son of David, the greater David, And yet they did not recognize him. In fact, in their eyes, Jesus might as well have just been in exile. Jesus, like David, is poor. He's going through, getting something to eat because he needed it, and he and his disciples needed something. Jesus is dropping a bomb on these Pharisees. And he said, you know that long-awaited son of David, that Messiah, the king of kings that you are waiting for? You're looking at him. These Pharisees, boy, this, this just enrages them. In verse 27, Jesus gives us these incredible, infamous words, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not about these legalistic rules that you are following and these rules that you are imposing, these extra biblical rules that you are imposing on the people. The Sabbath isn't about rules. Man was made for the Sabbath here. The Sabbath is about rest. It's about freedom. It's not a burden that you have imposed on the people. And this is Jesus displaying and, and telling the story that he is also over all things, including the Sabbath. Now, here's where it gets even more. Like, if you didn't think that was a dig that Jesus just did to the Pharisees, just wait. Because Jesus is going to give us the most epic sermon illustration of all time. Pick it up in chapter three, verse one. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus. The Pharisees are watching Jesus to see whether he would heal a man on the Sabbath so they might would accuse him of doing something that wasn't against the law of God, but was against the law of man. Like these are like those annoying people in your neighborhood who are just waiting for you to do something wrong with your yard so that they can come knocking on your door and saying, excuse me, you know, like your water was on, you know, way too long or, or, or whatever they want to complain about. Like this is what, these jokers are just waiting. They're, they're creeping, like it's almost kind of weird and creepy. Like you've got these people watching you at all times, just waiting for you to trip up. And that's what these guys are doing. They're just waiting for Jesus to see what he's going to do. I mean, when you think that there would be a, like, just think about, just think of the madness of this, right? Sabbath was meant for rest. If you're sick, if you're enslaved, can you rest? No. 
Would it make sense for Jesus to heal a man on the day of Sabbath so that the man can finally rest? Yes, is the answer to the question. But these Pharisees are more about their false religion. And so here's where the sermon illustration comes in. This is really crazy. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. So just imagine that. He's in the synagogue. He's like, hey, you right there with the withered hand, why don't you stand up on your feet? Right? And he doesn't say anything to the guy. Listen to what, so the guy's standing there awkwardly, right? Like as if we were wanting to point out anything else, we're going to point out the guy with the disability with the hand that's withered away. So now all eyes on him. Like doesn't it just make sense that Jesus would like be healed and he's healed? But Jesus takes him, he's like, all right, just stay, stand, stay there. All right, you're not, you're going to move. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the Sabbath while everybody's awkwardly looking at you. Okay. And he asks the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Silence comes across. Jesus inside looks around and he's anger. He's grieved and in the, uh, because of the hardness of their heart or, or that, that can just be translated because of their closed minds. Well, I haven't heard like this before, Jesus. Right? Well, I, I don't know about this, healing somebody. I thought that our extra biblical law says that you can't heal on the Sabbath, which is made for rest, which I know this guy really needs rest, but I don't really care. And Jesus is like angered in his heart. He's grieved at, at their closed-minded ways. And as the silence is in the room, as Jesus just talked about the Sabbath, he looks at the guy and he's like, okay, by the way, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held a council. They had a little secret church meeting with the Herodians against him and how to destroy Jesus. You would think like the religious establishment would do the opposite. You would think that any reasonably sound-minded, sensible person, even a Pharisee or a scribe would say, you know what? I think we need to reconsider and rethink this Jesus guy. You would think that they would do this. Maybe, you know, maybe you just need to take, maybe let's just take a, before we go on and plot to kill him, let's, let's rethink this whole thing here. You've got a guy who just stood up and he was withered hand, Jesus, now the guys can rest. You know, you would think like in a sensible way with people with common sense would go, oh, well, okay, that makes sense, but not, not, not the, the Pharisees. Luke's account in chapter six, verse 11 says the Pharisees were filled with rage. Like they were filled with incredible rage. They were filled, a, a way to translate this, they were filled with, with madness. They'd lost their minds. They were void of making any kind of cognitive, uh, sensible, uh, sensible response to what was happening. They were at their bottom end with this Jesus guy. Their madness, their hatred only motivated by this hatred of Jesus. So, so let's think about this. Pharisee and Herodians, okay? 
because this is interesting. Like a hatred is going to take two separate groups that did not like each other. The Pharisees, you could view them as almost Jewish nationalists. And then the Herodians, they bowed their knee to Rome. All right, so just think in modern terms, like, like Democrats and Republicans finally agreeing on something. Like, what is this, revival? Holy Spirit just moved in Washington, D.C.? What? This is exactly what just happened. The, the Pharisees, these Jewish nationals, and, and then these, these bowing their knee to Rome, these, these Herodians, they finally agreed to something, and, and their agreement was on their hatred of Jesus. And they go in this psychopathic rage against him. And now they are in complete alliance with their hatred towards Jesus. This is a story about one way, the right way, a biblical way that that Jesus gives of Sabbath and then a false religious way of Sabbath that gives us more rules, more oppression, more burdens instead of Christ's Sabbath, which is complete freedom. It's a contrast between goodness and wickedness compassion and indifference, open honesty and hidden occupancy. This is divine power uh, that Jesus is displaying over. And now these, what this would spur was these storm clouds that would gather on the horizon over the head of Jesus. So just a couple of thoughts and a couple of questions on the Sabbath. Now, to remember, to keep, right? This is, this is like a problem. Hey, don't forget. Remember the Sabbath. And keep it Kadesh. Keep, keep it holy. This can literally be translated as just rest and be dedicated to it. So the Sabbath is something that we are dedicated to. Again, don't legalize this to make this about a day of the week or... Because if you take Sunday, well, Sunday's a busy day for, for some of us. Some of us won't be able to rest. So, so what does it mean for you to rest and to worship on that day? That's the Sabbath. Let me, let me put it to you like this. Heather read earlier, Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's talking to some Jewish people and there's a buzzword called, called rest, pointing them to the importance of, again, the Sabbath command or the Sabbath remembrance. So how do you find Sabbath? How do you find rest? I mean, is it, is it like going to bed? Is it, well, if physically maybe. Is it taking the three-hour nap? You know, is it, is it going out for coffee with friends? Is it, you know, is it going out with good meal, good drink with people? Like, yeah, maybe. But how do we really find Sabbath? How do we really find rest? Well, Jesus just said it. You come to him, 
here's what you get, right? You come to Jesus, you get the Sabbath. This is why he is the Lord over the Sabbath, because he is the one who provides the Sabbath. He is the one that brings you, enters you into the rest that he promises you to have. Not only would you find this physical Sabbath, but something greater, something that, that our world is longing for, that culture is, is wanting and, and longing for. What is it? It's rest for your soul. It's finally being at peace with God. It's finally having this unsettling fear, this, this anxiety. It's finally having all of these things removed off of you and just resting in his love for you and just resting in his grace for you. Jesus fulfills this and he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And you come to him and you find this life, you find this rest. You don't find burdens. You don't find slavery. That's what the, that's what, and it's odd because that's what the, the Pharisees were doing. And, it, and honestly, these were just little Pharaohs. These were just guys who were trying to reimpose the Pharaoh way. It's like, here we are a couple thousand years removed from Egypt, removed from slavery, yet here it still is in their souls. Exodus never left some of the Jewish people's hearts. Slavery never left it. So they tried to reimpose it onto the people. These were just little pharaohs trying to control people. And Jesus steps into the scene in the faces of these little pharaohs, and he's telling them, I'm letting my people go. They're going to find rest in me. They will no longer be burdened down and enslaved by the ways of you little pharaohs. They come to me because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So what is this Christ-centered rest? And, and, you know, I would just suggest it's just resting in the gospel. It's that re-gospeling your heart. It's that constantly reminding you, God, save me. He brought me out of slavery of my sin, brought me from death to life. Like, despite me, despite how big of a jerk I was, or, or despite how good I thought I was, despite how successful I was, or whatever, he... He found me. He rescued me. He loved me enough to call me his son or his daughter. And now I'm adopted into his kingdom. That's how we experience this gospel-centered, this Christ-centered rest, that we are saved by his, by his grace through faith alone. And I can rest in that. I, I can rest that, that I am I am firm and secure in Christ's hands. And according to John's gospel, he will never let me go. I can rest and re-gospel my heart from, from Romans chapter eight that says neither death nor life nor sword nor nothing can separate me from the love of God that he has for us. I, I can rest in knowing that. And so just my question for you, are you trusting that God is enough? Jesus' way versus Pharisee way. It, God's way is enough. Are you trusting in your own efforts? Are you trusting in, in other people's way and the way of the world? 
the finished work of Christ, that's enough. That's how we find our rest. That's how Jesus can stand up into the faces of the Pharisees and says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And in Matthew, he says, if you want this Sabbath, if you want this rest, you just come to me. Let's pray. Thank you.